Hello, 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 and welcome to a new episode of the Needle Movers Podcast, a podcast that brings you the lessons, books, and concepts we wish we'd known earlier on in our lives. As always with you, as always here with you today, myself, Mark Jasons, and my co-host, Valeria Tomasa. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to a new episode. I've never messed up in the intro. Well, maybe I have. I don't know. <laughs> but if you're listening today, our episode is from our book club series. Today, we're bringing you a blend of two topics by discussing The Culture Map by Erin Mayer. It's a weird book. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it's the kind of book that you probably want to have in front of you at some point and look at the diagrams inside of it. Uh, but there is a lot of anecdotes and there's a lot of stories and, uh, it's definitely brought me back to, to a time when I first started my management career. And, uh, I was working for a fairly small company, uh, where my management duties, of course, involved looking after approximately 20 people on the shop floor, give or take. And, uh, some of them were full-time employees. Some of them were contractors. Uh, but as a manager, I was responsible for not just looking after the employee development, but also the, the welfare and also working and ensuring that people were working on the right job and they were doing the right thing and uh, things were being prioritized accordingly. I remember I went for my interview, Mark, and uh, I heard the famous words, we have a pretty good team, but a supervisor needs a little bit of coaching. Uh, now, I was coming from a very... I'm going to say arrogant background where I thought I had it. I had a master's. I was coming from a big company. I had read some books and I thought I had it down. I thought, uh, but what I discovered fairly quickly was that, uh, I was constantly clashing with a supervisor. And, uh, when I say clashing, I mean like full on blowouts at times. And I remember this one particular time when, um, I simply asked him, and I think I mentioned it previously in, in the podcast, I asked him, why are you working on this job uh, instead of this one, which is due tomorrow? I mean, the other one was due like three days later, and he went like full ballistic, and I'm still trying to figure out why. Um, but it's easy to look back and um, and say, okay, maybe I should have disciplined him, maybe uh, I should have had more backbone and, uh, uh, and set him straight. However... This was a very reactive approach. And uh, retrospectively, now that I've read this book, I can see that there were opportunities for me to be more proactive uh, when dealing with a supervisor. Um, and uh, what that means is that I could have looked at my team and realized that the entire team was from a South Asian background. And I was coming in as a fairly young person and uh, I was coming in with relatively little experience about the electrical engineering uh business and I was coming in and telling him what to do I was imposing new ways of doing things that when I was speaking directly to people that he was supervising and he must have felt as if to say who what is this guy doing what is he even trying to do so a few years later having read and adjusted this book now I can see that I could have done things differently but also I can see why he respected some people and not others. Now, funnily enough, mm. uh, when all of this was happening, there was um, a guy from the, from the sales team and he was also from a South Asian background and he came around to me and uh, he told me, you might want to read this book. And he was referring to the culture map uh, that we're going to be covering today. I mean, that suggestion came a little bit too, too late, uh, <laughs> but... I can say now that if that had come at the very beginning of my 
uh, journey with that team, I think things would have gone a little bit differently. I would have understood a bit more about the differences in cultures and why we were clashing and how to avoid that from uh, from happening. I think um, one thing to mention, and the author does a good job of uh, outlining or detailing this, is that um, I guess people might take cultures and it, meaning equal stereotypes or discrimination or things like that. Or, or But it's basically, and this is me butchering what they say, is that cultures are important and to ignore them is to ignore that they there are things in history that um, beget how people are in their work and life environments. And so it's very important to address or understand that. And so, and this is only, it only comes to mind when you say, oh, they were from a South Asian background. And it's like, yeah, because depending where you've grown um, and why we think, well, why I think this book is very important is because um, you may have grown in a certain culture, be it in a region of the UK versus a different region against, you know, a whole different country or a different continent um, is that you might not be aware that there are other options besides what you think is the way forward, mm. the compass, the, the the direction or the the avenues to take that are exposed to you. The way it's framed is dictated by said culture. So we get understandings on social, um, I guess, workings and how things should be versus what other cultures get. And this is why there's a map of it in the book of it and they can clash sometimes and it, if you want that path of least resistance, if you want to, if you've had to do any consulting or working internationally or different cultures, then you might have come across some things here. And we think it's very good to at least educate yourself enough to not always be frustrated and end up in situations like Valerio described. <laughs> and for you, you said someone recommended it to you, Val. I think um this one for me and why I was so keen on it was because a listener actually recommended it to me. When uh when they found I was doing a podcast, they said actually this is a really good book that you should um uh read and check out. And so I it took me a while but I did finally read it and I really enjoyed at least having that information or that viewpoint of ah oh, this is why things happen. <laughs> it is one of those books that it it, it fits right with our um, whole premise of things we wish we'd known. But um, for, that's for myself. But for the audience, I guess, what is in it for you? Um, we live in a world where that is more interconnected than ever. So me saying you might have worked with other cultures, it's likely. Like we've got so much access to different uh, cultures and through internet or just directly through travel even. So we deal across cultures at work, in our private lives, when doing business or when simply traveling. Uh, what is deemed appropriate in the UK, however, for example, could be completely out of line in different cultures. So building awareness to cultural differences is going to allow you to understand the differences between cultural traits and personal traits. The culture map provides an easy to digest framework to handle and address cultural differences in business. The premise is that we can improve the effectiveness of our communication Avoid misunderstanding and use this knowledge to your advantage, our advantage, everyone's advantage. So if your partner is from a different culture, that's where you can differentiate what is a culture trait versus personal. And if your business partner is from a different culture, um, to be fair, if you think about it, Val, me and you are from two different cultures. But, yes, yes uh, we are. But we've blended towards one. Yeah. And so finding the, and I guess we talk about how you have to accommodate each other. But understanding why and the background can help you understand, oh, what is likely to happen when you meet new people versus in individuals. And it makes life much, like I say, much easier. No, 100%. And uh, 
I think one thing that comes to my mind when uh, when I came across this book is that when you ask for recommendations around um, self-improvement books or books which can enhance your communication, people will always come and tell you, okay, read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, read, read How to Win Friends and Influence People. I find that those are really good foundations, but the culture map is probably one of those books that really specializes in one area and it gives you that extra bit of understanding, the extra bit of knowledge that can really help you differentiate yourself from others. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I, I really liked the, this particular book uh, when I read it and why it's being recommended today. So let's start with the first topic, context and directness scale. Talking about context, the first aspect we will discuss is low context and high context. What does this mean? Having low context equals being more precise and to the point with what you mean versus the high context, which is being more subtle and layered and requires reading in between the lines to truly understand the meaning of what is being said. You know, it's funny. I say this and I'm just like, it reminds me of relationships. (laughs) Why not just tell me directly? Uh, But why is there a difference? Places that have had relatively similar populations for a number of years tend to have had the ability to develop reading in between the lines approach. On the other hand, places which have been formed or are subject to high immigration, for example, have not had this same opportunity, thus need for lower context and more direct when it comes to speech. There was this uh, hilarious example in the book. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I think the author is talking about when uh, she traveled to India and uh, her asking for directions on how to get to a certain place. Yep. And she really, she receives the most high level and ambiguous <laughs> kind of the explanation that refers to, you know, a local shop, take this turn, take that turn, instead of referring to real and actual names of books and it goes to show the clash in the two different culture where I think the author is American or I could be wrong, but she's certainly from a background where uh, it, there is a more of a high context in place. And uh, the explanation that she received was on the opposite end of the spectrum. And uh, needless to say, she could not find a place to uh, save her life. So when we was making this uh, episode, one thing I said was, I think I was like, I'm so confused. And this, and I'll just point it because of something you just said there. You said she's from more of a high context place, right? Yes, I did. The reason I'm saying that, yeah, exactly. This is why it confused me. And I looked into it because I heard the book and then I I checked it and it's true. She's from more of a low context place where you have to be more precise and to the point. Ah. What I mean. Right. Yeah. See, it's very confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I think high context means you give a lot of context, but no, high context, like it's explained, it, and if you look it up for yourself, audience, it will mean that it is more subtle. You don't say things as direct and it's layered and it requires, re- requires reading between the lines. And yeah, even though it, like your, my first instincts, like, well, my, uh, system one brain is immediately like low context, give low context, high context, give high context. <laughs> it's kind of like reading, right? Short sighted, long sighted. If you're short sighted, it means you can't see far and vice versa. So in this case, just for everyone's, yeah, I, it's a, I only call it out because I made that same exact mistake. Low context is the one where, you need more information. You are used to being more precise. And yeah, she, like Bob was saying, she is from a low context. 
uh, and the, where, where in India, well, in India, in that case, it's much more high context. They're able to just give, uh, tell you an area and you can read between the lines to get there. But in that story, she did get to the point where they offered to just take her. <laughs> they said, I will just take you. Let's skip it. Yeah. I, I think it was a good choice for her to, uh, to just go with it. But, uh, no, mm-hmm. good, good picking up on it. I'm definitely going to make that mistake again in the future because, um, I, it's, it's <laughs> quite an easy one to fall into. But going from context, the next thing to explain is the directness. Because of, of course, we're talking about the context and directness scale here. And being direct means simply being straight to the point. It's uh, the kind of people that tend to use superlative and upgrades. For example, using words such as absolutely, totally, uh, it's the worst thing ever. So, for instance, they won't just say, I disagree with you, but the, someone will say, I completely disagree with what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it takes it to a whole new level. I, I'm, I'm starting to hear myself here. <laughs> <laughs> and being indirect is complete opposite to that oh do you hear that complete opposite to that i noticed what you did i was like (laughs) they will be quite indirect uh provide more gentle feedback and often even sandwich the bad feedback with the good feedback so this terminology and that downgrades the message is typically known as the um as the poop sandwich let's call it (laughs) and it (laughs) will Use uh, terminology or words such as I kind of disagree with you or use words such as uh, maybe a little bit, but essentially words that will allow you to downgrade the message ever so slightly to appear softer as you're delivering it. I wouldn't, I'd just say, I wouldn't even say it's ever so slightly. It's the same, it's just the reverse in a sense because it kind of has kind of, see what I did there? Christ, I mean, <laughs> it has that effect where it, um, if you're trying to deliver a strong message and you can eliminate it or make it more less impactful because you've added these, I would say qualifiers, but this terminology that limits it, it's kind of, it's actually funny because I'm realizing you've got the directness and I'm the indirect approach while I'm saying this. Great. Oh. But we have the directness scale and the context scale. But what are some real examples in real life for of these cultures? So if you take the book, it provides the following examples. So for low context with direct feedback, you have countries like Germany. Um, and then for high context direct feedback, you have places like Russia. Low context indirect feedback, there you have the USA and high context indirect feedback, you have Japan. Now, if you've been to any of these countries or at least, um, Watch, well, no, visited them, yeah, or, or know people from them. Let us know if you found that that is what they kind of fall into when it kind of, I need to now watch my whole tone. <laughs> but if they fall into it when you, um, assess that, when you, um, think back on how they are, what does this mean for yourselves even? If you had an employee or colleagues from a different cultural background or perhaps a spouse or a friend, or perhaps you're doing a business abroad, Understanding the scales allows you to adjust your communication level to avoid unnecessary friction and conflict. So when when you mentioned the scale, uh, I was surprised with uh, USA. I was expecting USA to fall into the direct feedback scale. Hmm. 
I guess I'm used to doing business with a few of my colleagues over the pond and I've always perceived the, their way of speaking or their feedback to be on the, on the direct side. Probably not the most direct that, uh, that I've observed, certainly. Uh, but surprised to see them on the indirect scale. I can understand that. Yeah. I can, I can, the expectation. And this is why I wonder about if you take it locally, if there is a diff, this uh, difference right in the areas of the US which still have their own cultures between them um but I'm not sure i i think i think there there is also an element of um depending on where we sit we will perceive another country to be relatively speaking more direct or less direct so i could be perceiving the usa as more direct but if you look at the overall True. scale they are way less direct than uh than germany for instance and that's i think what i'm falling trapped yes on. that's a good catch <laughs> we forget that we sit inside the scale and we're like oh well this is how it is a good catch indeed So the second topic looks at the persuasion scale. And as a starting point, the author talks about two different ways in which people tend to understand aspects. One of them is called the principle first reasoning. And the second one is called the application first reasoning. Now for the principle first reasoning, that's when we use generic principle to draw conclusions. So for example, if you're looking to learn how to code or how to program, even how to learn a language, but let's stick with programming. You may want to, you may behave or react better if you learn the syntax, the structure and the rules before you start writing a small program or before, uh, let's talk about in terms of, uh, language. Uh, if you were learning Italian, for example, you may be in a better space if you learned the grammar and the syntax first. Mm. Now, people that work well within the application first uh, reasoning, it's people that are able to understand from a use case much more effectively. So this is classified as inductive. So you may present a theory first and then state the fact that supports it. So this method is used, is more useful towards learning about accounting, for example, where students first get the method and the formula and then they get a practice, uh, practice example to use in order to fully understand the purpose of it as well as the purpose. Um, and those two different ways of, uh, of understanding can then lead to uh, better reacting towards people that uh, engage with you. It's also interesting because from my experience, and correct me if I'm wrong here, we all go into a version of university that just expects one of them. <laughs> like They're like, be this way first. For depending on the topic that you're in, it's like, this is what you need to be first. And it's funny because in when it comes to business um i have had customers where they need to see it regardless if you've done everything to make sure the theory is in in practice and say let us finish and then we'll deliver and but it's only at the point of delivery that they're like 
oh, now I understand. And no, <laughs> it's like, where were you the whole journey? It took months and months to get here, maybe years. But at this point is when you're finally brought in. And it's because people can be one or the other in terms of the reasoning, if it's principle first, or application first. But what are the mm-hmm. ramifications of being principle first or application first besides that? So if you think about principle first reasoning countries, they'll tend to explain the why behind a task or the request before they do it. Um, and then for application first reasoning con- countries, they concentrate more on the how instead of the why. So if you're from a country that is principle first and are reporting to a manager who is application first, you might get very frustrated <laughs> because your manager is not giving you the why. And the opposite can also be true. So if you're application based and your manager is principle based, then you may get impatient as the manager explains the why and not the how. And if you've ever had that feeling where you're like, why do they keep repeating this to me? <laughs> why are you saying the same thing over and over again? I already get that. Tell me that. And the difference is they might be reiterating the point that they think is clear due to their um, uh, reasoning, which then impacts you because you're not looking for that. You're both trying to find different paths or different pieces of information to make something happen. And it might not be the same. So I guess it's fair to say that there's also been like, books and more information out there, which can, I, I feel, impact cultures. But being from co- project, um, from my management consultant, when I go to other cultures, and I had never read this book, I realized that I was a hundred percent imparting a specific culture from elsewhere on a new culture. And you had to go be in recognition of it and appreciate their culture. But also because they've called you, you're like, now you're about to work outside of your normal culture, which for me is um, bizarre. <laughs> I wonder if there's a different way of doing it where you can utilize the benefits of that culture. But from what I was provided to deliver i know for a fact in some circumstances i was giving them a whole different viewpoint so there's things like we our first episode was on uh simon sinek's start with why right uh and mm. uh, and it's had a large influence with this material and the benefit of getting buy-in through the why so then some cultures might lean more towards that whereas some might be like i don't understand it and it might skew things or change the map but i feel like if you go abroad as much as it does for a whole cultural shift, <laughs> it's something that you have to have everyone buy in. And uh, one thing the book makes clear um, is about the leadership, about the top, about how it needs to come from there. And it needs to be explicitly stated, especially when I was doing it in management consulting, about how I'd have to go and explain, this is what I'm doing, and this is why I'm doing it, and this is how it needs to be done. I've covered all bases, regardless of who is there, and that's why they'd accept it more. So if they need to hear the why, I've explained that if they need to hear the how, whether they're principle or application first, I've given them something that will fulfill them and then allow them to um, incorporate it, attempt it, at least uh, yeah, give it a try and see how it works better for them. Hey Needle Movers, hope you're enjoying. We'll be right back after this. Money is all around us and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host Matt Heslin brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health and beyond. Together they unpack the secrets to not just surviving but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. 
subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. The, the Salmon Sinek comment is interesting because I certainly have bought into the whole start with why, ask the question, understand the purpose behind the task that has been asked of you. And knowing that I like to receive that information now, I certainly try to also impart that when I'm dealing with other people. Uh, so I'm a big fan of starting with why, but I think what the book suggests is to do in uh, those instances, especially given that you may be dealing with a, a someone or a team which may be of a very different culture from where you are, is to switch back and forth between the why and the how. Mm. And this ensures that uh, whatever you're explaining or requesting out of someone is expressed in both terms of uh, principle as well as practical application. And the switching between the why and the how allows you to cater for both sides. Now, you probably might still end up with some people that are slightly frustrated, especially when you are explaining the why and they want to find out about the how. Um, but you're in a much better space than uh, just using one, uh, which could really frustrate some, uh, some individual. Uh, so, some of the examples that we're using the book in terms of uh, allowing context as to... Uh, who is more orientated towards a principle-based uh, learning uh, is France and Italy. And on the other hand, uh, application-based uh, countries or cultures is the US and Canada. Um, and of course, if you open up the book, um, as I've mentioned earlier on as well, there is a full scale that provides a few more examples as well. And uh, again, it, it is quite useful to just get that understanding so that you can tailor your message to be more effective in the communication style. So right into topic egalitarian versus hierarchical scales don't you love scales we're going through more so <laughs> in the egalitarian <laughs> structures there's um these ones have flat organizations small gaps between employees and management uh it's common for directors to work with employees who may be a few grades down people across the company are comfortable using each other's first names and the examples of this are countries like denmark and sweden now if you are surprised to hear any of that, it's probably because you may be from a hierarchical structure. And that is, I'm just going to repeat hierarchical. I feel like I can't, every episode, there's just a word I can't figure out. Hierarchical, hierarchical structure, doesn't matter. <laughs> so there are clear gaps in between ro uh, role grades. And consequently, if you want to reach out to someone senior, you always have to go through your manager, who will probably go to their manager and so on. You might also find that surnames and the use of titles is more prominent in these areas. Examples of this are China, Nigeria, and India. Well, here's something that I thought of whilst I read this in the book, which is that my culture map is a mix of two because in personal, I have a Nigeria culture map because I was raised with Nigerian parents, with Nigerian expectations. And then I am in the UK, which doesn't really have that same structure in terms of well in schools i guess because you wouldn't call them by their names but in in certain areas you just say uh at least in the work life you just say by their first names and so 
there's that difference in the expectation. And you might hear people who will say, sir, or yes, chief, or whatever, because that personal culture map is different to what is the expectation in the workplace they have now come into. So, yeah. yeah. So fr- from a, from an Italian perspective, we also fall into the hierarchical structure. Uh, so, for instance, uh, we would address any elders using Mr. and then using the surname. Uh, we even have uh, the polite version of addressing someone. So we've got a polite version of uh, the word you, so that you always use it to ensure that uh, you're never uh, being disrespectful towards someone else. And I found it very weird moving into this country where you were talking to someone using first name basis. But also when I moved into school, I was surprised that they were not using my surname because that's something that they do in Italy. They call you with your surname. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's very different. Um, and I guess I reading this book, I thought, isn't this like obvious to everyone? And then I realized, no, actually it's not obvious. It's, uh, <laughs> it's something that can be quite, quite different if you're not experienced it before. Yeah. And I was initially tempted to, I guess, think that this was a geographical thing. Like, you know, for example, Italy and France being quite close to uh, each other, they both have this, uh, um, let's call it way of addressing elders, this way of being polite. So I thought it was geographical. But in reality, it's nothing to do with geography. It's got to do with the political system that was imposed years and years ago. So this goes back to the, to the Roman Empire. And both uh, Italy and France were in fact part of the Roman Empire. But then if you take another, another country in uh, Europe, like for instance, uh, Sweden, and uh, knowing that uh, they had been conquered or governed by the Vikings, which uh, were practically the first de- uh, democracy in uh, in the world uh, and they had a more egalitarian way of uh, acting and behaving and that's why the structure is different and that's why you end up in a space where your boss can work with uh, someone from three lines below them uh, everyone would address each other by their first name it's because of those uh, historical uh, setups and uh, contexts that has transpired with the years and we still are using those, uh, those way of behaving and those way of ha- acting. One thing that also and makes me think, by the way, just to skip in is just, you might not be aware, regardless of the country you're in, the culture of the company you're going into. And so, um, you might be like, like I said, I was abroad in different countries but I was making sure I brought a specific type of cultural map there for them to thrive uh, because that's what we could teach them. But so that you could be in somewhere, be it China, Nigeria, India, Denmark, Sweden, France, Poland, UK, wherever, and have a company which is based itself off uh, egalitarian or hierarchical structure. And so you might wonder why is it I'm struggling here, even though I'm in this, the yeah. expectation. And so the book, though it, it is clear that like these cultures exist, it's what have has that company that you're in um, based themselves on? What is the whole um, uh, environment there? And that might be because I'm thinking of it and I'm like, oh, so in the company I work for now it might be it's way more egalitarian. But at some points I've worked in ones that were 100% hierarchical. And it's just, um, yeah, it's that question to at least familiarize yourself with one when you um, are getting the job, looking into the job or being working there and saying, oh, 
this is where I am. <laughs> this is what I've got myself <laughs> into, I guess. Now, that's a great point because uh, an egalitarian culture is what promotes um, making decisions as part of a team and what promotes the collaboration and, uh, as the name indicates, an egalitarian setup. And if on the, on the flip side of that, when you've got, uh, I, I ha- um, hierarchical stuck as well. <laughs> <laughs> I got stuck as well. Yeah. Uh, you have got a setup or an expectation that decisions are being made from the top and passed down to anyone that sits under the pyramid. Mm. And then there is places that um, use a combination of the both. And in the book, there was this uh, this great example, I think it was of Japan, where they make decisions uh, within one level of employees and uh, they use the egalitarian structure of uh, coming up with the consensus and decision. And then that uh, the proposal is passed on to the next layer of management mm. and then discussed in that next layer of management and then that's taken and then it's passed on to the next layer of management. So it's it's almost like uh, the worst of both worlds <laughs> because <laughs> in, in a way, uh, when you use a hierarchy, you have a very quick decision that is being made from the top to the bottom. So, you know, it could be fast and it could be wrong, but at least it's fast. And then you got the egalitarian, which can take a longer time, but you get to, to something that probably will make everyone happy. But because of the structure of going through waves and waves and waves of that decision making, you probably end up with a very slow, uh, slow process. But Everyone's this happy. is very useful to understand. <laughs> Uh, what is happening, but also to understand how decisions are made. Because if you understand the intricacy of that, then you can use that to your advantage to figure out, okay, what is my next strategic move that I can make mm. to move forward that conversation that I'm trying to hold? Very true. We're going to keep moving into scale. So let's talk about top-down versus consensus. So you can have egalitarian and hierarchical structures. Damn, I hate that word. (laughs) But you also have decision-making scales. You either have top-down or consensus scales. So if you talk about consensus, as the name suggests, uh, consensus is a decision-making culture which will seek the group's agreement before continuing, like Valerio just explained. This is what I call a high-investment quick return. It takes time to get everyone on board, However, when everyone agrees, there is very little friction to implement the solution or change. Everyone feels like they've been involved. And like Valerio said in the book, they gave an example of this where everyone, it took a while, it went through levels, but when it was finally delivered, everyone was happy with it. Albeit, it might have been a bit too late. (laughs) When you have the top down ones, this is where decisions are typically made by the top dog, the main person, the boss. And at times this can be done in silo regardless. So you might just hear a change has come. It's over. Moved on to the next one. This decision has a very quick bias reaction, but two disadvantages. So one group think and two high friction to get it implemented. Everyone either rolls towards it, regardless, not understanding it, you don't even get to figure out the why or the how. It's just an instruction, get to it. And then people won't uh, disagree and commit or, you know, they, they there's less likely to be in uh, engaged. And I remember working at a company earlier on in my career where the 
employees vocally disagreed <laughs> with what the decision was, but it was made top down. It's just this is what's going to happen. There was no query. There was no. It, it was informed rather than it was um uh discussed, and therefore it had the least buy in, and it had the most turnover since people just didn't like that culture at that point. So yeah, you get best of both. You could even and and I, I was about to say you can either be one or the other, but you can like we say find a way to um i guess weave them into each other without having to be as for lack of better words black and white i'd say and i mean having gone through explaining all the different structures if i were to take the story that i talked about the very beginning if i were to dissect it, it it almost becomes obvious that there is um almost a mini culture uh, on the shop floor that I was working, where there was a hierarchical structure. And I came in and I disrupted it. Mm. Um, I went in and I started talking directly to the people that, uh, that uh, reported to the supervisor. I went in and I started um, asking for opinions. I started driving changes. Um, I wasn't going through the supervisor necessarily. So there was a, there was an element of me doing all that disruption, thinking about it from an organizational perspective. And on top of that as well, if we look back at, um, uh, some of the, uh, principles or some of the context and directiveness scales that we looked at, uh, there was also an element of, uh, me going in, uh, in, so to speak, uh, having uh, being unqualified uh, to the job, being too young to be the job to do the job, and uh, ca- causing that um, that dissatisfaction or that anger um, across the, uh, I guess for, for that one particular person, on the basis that I hadn't earned my rank uh, to be at the top of that uh, at the top of that pyramid or the top of that hierarchical decision making that uh, was the shop floor. So it's in, it's interesting to look back and realize what I could have done differently. And I'm not and I'm not saying or forgiving that uh, the structure on the floor was uh, was correct or wrong. But what I'm saying is that had I had the vision to see what was happening, what the structure was like, I could have behaved differently in order to attain more buy-in and uh, win over the people much more quickly that than I turned out to do. Yeah, I I think it's. It's not that right or wrong. It's and it's not. I guess when you think of it, you might be like, "Oh, I can't be asked to go into a company and then play politics." You know, play by this. They all do this, therefore I have to. And you can find out that you clash due to these culture maps. But it shouldn't be a case of, "Oh, this is pandering." It should be a matter of let me understand where I am at, get my bearing, and then move with this information in hand. Use it as a power rather than as a detriment is what I expect, right? So if you go mm-hmm. in and you see this, maybe in that circumstance, you're like, well, I'm not one for this. <laughs> you leave and you find out. Uh, but if you really love the company, you find ways to manage it or mitigate it. It makes everyone's lives easier. And there, one thing I'll be clear on here is that it's not just uh, the, the book doesn't just explain this is how it is. Good luck. It does give examples of when you... Um, <laughs> can you know um uh, how you can manage in these different types of cultures so always like we say read the book too we do tell you the overview but 
definitely read the book too it's a very good book I, I, I do rate it and that's why it's on this episode <laughs> we do make it yeah There are other skills presented in the books. Where, so there's a trust scale, a disagreement scale, there's schedules. There's a lot of skills. There's a lot of structures, a lot of... Um, and uh, as always, like I was saying, we recommend reading the book in full. So if you've enjoyed it, let us know and maybe we'll do a part two in, in the future where we capture these girls and even give other real-life circumstances. Uh, I... We've managed to tell about some examples of our own, but there are more where we've had to go through and experience um, beyond just the scales we've mentioned, but these trust scales, disagreement schedules, and well, most likely you have too. <laughs> so like, as always, please give it a chance, read the book, check out Blinks, go on YouTube, look it up, find whatever form of um, uh, infotainment you like that will let you to hear more about it, because I do recommend uh, listening and hearing uh, and learning from the culture map. And I'm, I'm, I might try to uh, script some rails so that we can uh, cover some of the uh, key topics mm. in, uh, in a very quick uh, one-minute context. Uh, but going back to what we covered today, we covered the context and directiveness scale. We looked at the persuasion scales, egalitarian versus a hierarchical culture. Uh, we looked at top-down versus consensus culture. And uh, we hope that you have managed to find some use in this and uh, hopefully we'll be able to use it within either your workplace, your relationships or uh, in the world that we live. As always, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you've got a suggestion for a book that we should read uh, or cover, please reach out. We always love to hear from our audience and uh, you can reach out to us through a website on www.dneedlemovers.xyz or by following us on our Instagram account, uh, TikTok account or YouTube account, Ooh. which is at d.needle.movers. If you like the episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It ensures that we can keep writing content that is useful to you and that you enjoy. As always, I have been your host for today and uh, my co-host Mark Jasons will uh, also say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always funny when we're trying to see how to leave it. No, yeah, as always, yeah. Uh, Mark Jasons will say goodbye. I'm Mark Jasons. Goodbye. Or in other words, <laughs> adios. <laughs>